recording the Zoom. Um, so again, whoever, if it, I forgot to record it one time, but anyone who misses a week, we're going to record these Zooms. And so, and they'll be on the podcast, they'll be online and on YouTube and all that stuff. So you can listen if you missed and, and stay with it. We're in Ruth chapter two. So again, just for those of you who are, who are jumping back in, we're going through half a chapter a week. Okay. That I think gives us plenty of time to kind of walk through things. So we're in Ruth chapter two and we'll go, um, Ruth chapter two is 23 ish verses. So we're going to go through verse 12 tonight. Okay. So Ruth chapter two, we go one through 12. We're going to take it a couple pieces at a time. So let's go. Um, Sydney, would you mind reading Ruth two, one through three, please? Certainly. Thank you. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Excellent. Thank you, Sydney. Great job with those, uh, those names, too. All right. So in Ruth chapter two, um, the Ruth chapter one begins with a natural disaster, right? It begins with a famine, Ruth chapter one. Ruth chapter one ends with the end of the famine. God has ended the famine. He's bringing his people back to himself. Naomi returns with Ruth, okay? But remember, um, Ruth has a huge problem. Naomi has a huge problem. Neither of them have husbands, right? Um, and again, this isn't like a, you have to have a husband or you're not blah, blah. That's not what that is. Remember, this isn't 21st century America. This is the ancient world. And husbands meant, you know, money and protection and all these different things and, um, and a, a family line to continue. They have none of these things, okay? But what's interesting is, look at how Boaz is introduced. We don't even... Uh, Sydney, can you just read uh, verse 1 of chapter 2? Yeah. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Notice, all right, uh, Cam, if you're introducing someone, not a trick question, if you're introducing someone, what's probably the first thing you're going to tell me about this person? Their name. Their name. Yeah. We don't get, see, look at this. We don't get Boaz's name first. You'd think that would be pretty important. But think about it, though. It's, it is kind of listed in order of importance. The first thing we know about this guy is he is a kinsman or relative uh, of Naomi's husband. That's the first thing we learn. That's kind of a random fact. Here's what's going on. The, a huge theme of Ruth is this theme of a ritual called a leveret marriage, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E, a leveret marriage. If you're, if you're taking notes, you may want to write down Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. And in that section of scripture, God lays out the rules of a leveret marriage. Levir, L-E-V-I-R, I promise I'm almost done with the vocab, 
L-E-V-I-R is Latin for brother-in-law. That's where the word comes from. It actually doesn't have to do with the tribe of Levi, which is what some people think. Um, Ty, we just jumped into Ruth chapter two. So you're only one verse behind. So we're in, we're in good shape. So Levir, L-E-V-I-R means brother-in-law. That's where it comes from. And basically what this looks like is if a woman's husband dies and leaves her with no next of kin or, or leaves her in debt because she can't afford her land anymore and that sort of thing, the closest relative or a close relative of the husband who died, which would be the wife's brother-in-law, see what I mean? The brother of the husband who died can step in and marry the wife or marry the, um, the widow to continue the family line. And again, it, it's, it's seen as protection. Like if, if, um, if the husband died and now the widow can't afford the land, she might have to sell it to get money to survive. So now she has nowhere to live. The, the leveret, the brother-in-law would come in, marry her, and use his money to buy back what she sold, to get her land back. See what I mean? It's this idea of restoration and redemption. Um, someone comes in, and again, this is this is one of these themes of Ruth, this, this theme of redemption, okay? Um, so Boaz is a kinsman of her husband. That's what we find out. He's related to the husband. This sounds like a leveret marriage. Um, and that's kind of what the author is hinting at is maybe this could be our guy. Maybe this could be our guy. The next thing that Boaz is called is a man of great wealth. Now, this could mean wealthy, like a lot of cash, but it can also mean wealthy inside and out. Okay. Um, does anyone have anything other than wealth in verse one, a man of great wealth? Mine says a worthy man. Mm-hmm. You see how that's a little different than rich? You see what I'm saying? That's what's going on. Um, sorry, guys. I'm trying to finish that off. He's of the family of Elimelech, who is, again, look at how twice we're reminded of this. Verse 1. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a nobleman, of the family of Elimelech, that's Naomi's husband, whose name was Boaz. So we're introduced to this guy's, um, we're not introduced to his name, we're introduced to his role first. You see that? His role in the narrative. And, and we don't know, I mean, if you've never read Ruth before, we don't know what's gonna happen. It's a possibility though. This guy Boaz could step in, um, renew the family line, get Naomi out of debt. It, it, he's the guy. He's the guy. Any questions on that before we get into the next section? Okay, so here we go. Um, let's see. I want to be sure we get everything. All right, Sydney, can you just read two and three? Yep. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, whose side I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was at the clan of Elimelech. Good. Again, see how 
Boaz, who is of the clan of, of Elimelech. See how, again, it's reminding and reminding and reminding. This is Boaz's role. This is what he could be. Notice it says Ruth the Moabitess. It's, it's going out of its, uh, the story's going out of its way again to show us that Ruth is trying to go to this unknown land. And it, this is her idea. Did you catch that? Ru Naomi doesn't say, now, Ruth, I want you to go out and et cetera, et cetera. Ruth's the one who asks. Ruth is the one who, the foreigner from a total, I mean, she has no idea where to go. There are no maps. There is no Google. She can't, she doesn't know where to go. But this is, this is Ruth's extreme faith. This is Ruth's boldness, which is really interesting because again, Ty, what is Ruth taking place during the time of? What other book is taking place at the same time as Ruth? Uh, isn't it Judges? Yes, during the time of the Judges. And the Judges are marked by a lot of people who are not as bold as, or as brave as Ruth. People like Gideon. You remember how Gideon is? Gideon's the one who like, who's like, Lord, I'll follow you if I lay out this shirt on the ground and the next day the grass is dry but the shirt is wet and vice versa. And that's where fleecing comes from. That's Gideon. Um, you know, Samson won't listen to the Lord. Uh, Jephthah will, will sacrifice his daughter before he goes to this thing. In, in a line and in a time period of all these cowardly leaders who have no faith, Ruth steps up and says, I'll do it. Ruth is, is this bold person. She's an, she's an oasis of faithfulness in a faithless desert. Does that make sense? Faithfulness, not faithlessness. She's a oasis of faith in a faithless desert. She really is. Now notice, she asks to go into the field to do, what's the verb there? Did you catch it? Someone tell me, what's the verb? She wants to go do what specifically? Glean. Good, Sydney. She's going in there to glean. Gleaning is different than harvesting. And this is important. Harvesting is, okay, the corn is here. Here's the corn. I have corn. I'm going to get it. Glean, this word literally means picking the leftovers, okay? These are specific areas of the field that are left unpicked or stuff that has already been dropped by the harvesters. Remember, this is just people out there with their hands and, and, and scythes, basically, right? So you may want to circle glean and write Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. In that section, God lays out to Moses that when you go out to glean or to harvest your fields, you're supposed to leave the corners of the fields. Do you know, you know this, Cam? I saw the head nod there. You're supposed to leave the corners of the field untouched specifically for the poor, the widow, the alien, which means like those from other countries who are just passing through. Um, the Mosaic law had a particular compassion for the orphan and the widow and the oppressed. You have to leave some for them, which is interesting because again, and we've talked about this before, but God's, remember this is God's country. This is God created Israel. Like, this is his place, God's country. Nice. This is literally God's country of Israel. He sets the economy. And he says, Sydney, when you grow all this stuff, when you grow all these crops, leave the corners out. Which is different because in America, 
the goal would be to tie what would the go how would the goal be different in america in america the goal is not to leave the corners for other people the goal is to what ourselves to get everything you can get as much as you can as often as you can when you can but it's interesting that in god's perfect economy we don't do that so as we as we work as you guys grow and get jobs and full-time employment and start your careers that's something to think about in god's quote-unquote perfect society you know god's trying to recreate eden and israel in, in a way in his perfect society it's a place where the goal is not to get everything you can all the time the goal is to leave some left over for other people and that's what boaz seems to be doing in his field and now ruth goes there now um let's see oh the other thing too notice it's not just someone that she has to go she wants to find favor in someone's sight now but here's the problem with that what's um ty help me out here if i was like all right once the light turns green i'm gonna wait like if i'm going this way all right, once the light turns green, I'm going to wait until I find favor in someone's sight going this way before I go. What's the problem with that? Well, it's green. You should go anyway. <laughs> it's exactly for It's the law. I don't have to find favor in someone's sight. It's the law. The law, according to Deuteronomy, is everyone is supposed to leave the corners of their field unattended so that the poor people can have something. But Ruth has been in Israel very little amount of time, and she already is aware that not everybody plays by that rule. You see what I'm saying? If I have to wait until I'm in someone's good graces to go, that means they're not obeying the traffic laws. You see? So, and again, this is during the time of the judges. This is a corrupt time in Israel. We're going to see in just a little bit just how corrupt it is, even in Boaz's own field, which makes Boaz that much better. But this is a dangerous time in Israel. Not everyone's playing, doing what God has asked them to do. And it's not just, so it's not just terrible murder and craziness, though that is there. There's, there's disobedience and dishonesty at the financial level with people's jobs. You see, they're being dishonest and not obeying God's law. So verse three is super important. Sydney, can you read it? So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, of the, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Oh my gosh, what a coincidence. This is huge. This is my native tongue. This is sarcasm. It really is. She, the, the Hebrew word here literally is, and she chanced upon chance. He's like, the author's like pouring it on. Ruth has no husband, has no child, neither does Naomi, but Israel just happens to have this law called the Leveret marriage where she could get both of them back. But with the Leveret marriage, you have to have someone who is related to the husband and they don't have to do it necessarily. So not only do you have to find someone who's a close relative, they have to be a good person. And what does verse one tell us about Boaz? He's a, he's a relative of Elimelech who's a worthy man, and Ruth just happens to find Boaz's field. 
Um, it's almost like um, a strange example, but my wife's dad passed away last year. And so we had our first Thanksgiving without him and his seat was empty at the table. And his absence was like deafening. His silence was deafening. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean when I say that? It's the same thing here when he doesn't mention God. He's doing it on purpose. This guy, this, this author loves God, and he's leaving him out and using sarcasm to, to slam in this idea, this isn't just by chance. This is God. God is the one who ended the famine. God is the one who has Boaz. God is the one who brought Ruth to glean here. There is no chance. This isn't a chance encounter. This is God's will actively moving. Okay. This is God's will actively moving. Okay. And she just happens on the field of Boaz. Who was of the family of Elimelech? Again, this whole section starts and ends with the, he's related to Elimelech. He could be the guy. And then it ends with he's related to Elimelech. He could be the guy. Right. All right. Let's get into the new section. Ty, can you read? Um, four through six. Yep. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Perfect. Can you read the first three words of verse four? Yep. And behold, Boaz. This word behold in Hebrew, it's sarcasm again because he's saying, you know, and Ruth just chanced upon chance to be in Boaz's field. Verse four, just then Boaz arrived on the scene. Again, it's this, the Lord's hand is all over this story bringing people together, orchestrating this story together. Cam, in verse four, what is the first phrase that Boaz says to his workers? The Lord be with you. All right. Um, if you want to know the true measure of someone, look at how they treat their inferiors, right? Boaz is one of the commentators I saw show this. Every single word out of Boaz's mouth for this entire book, not just the chapter, every single word out of Boaz's mouth, this entire book is kind and honest and truthful and caring. He is, he is righteous through and through. That's Boaz. And Boaz never gets frustrated in this story. He never, not that it's a bad thing to get frustrated, but he never lies. He never, there's never any doubt. That's Boaz. And he is, for the first line he says is, may the Lord be with you, which again, yes, this is a greeting, but guys, this is the theme of the whole book. The Lord is with Naomi the whole way through this story with her in judgment and discipline in the beginning, with her during the loss of her, of her husband and children, with her in ending the famine, with her in bringing Ruth, with Ruth in organizing that it's Boaz's field that she ends up in and that Boaz happens to be on the scene. Ruth's been out there all day and now Boaz is here. On and on and on. 
may the Lord be with you, that is the theme of the whole book, okay? And it's interesting that Boaz, who's the sign of God's favor, I mean, he's the one who's going to help this whole thing. He is the Lord's chosen helper in this story, other than Ruth, obviously. And he's the one who says, may the Lord be with you. What a coincidence. And then in verse 5, Ty, can you just read 5? Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So whose young woman is this? That tells us two things. Whose young woman is this? Let's see. Tell me something. What are two things that this would tell us about, about Boaz? Yeah. So Boaz calls Ruth a young woman. What does that tell us about Boaz? I was going to say that he noticed her. <laughs> okay, he does notice her. That's true. That's very true. That's very true. Look at what he calls her. What does that tell us about Boaz? So he's older. He's probably He's old. He's older than Ruth. Um, I'm in no way trying to bust anyone's bubble on this, but this is super important because I think it's actually, you know, Ruth and Boaz gets pitched as a love story kind of a lot of times. And there is some of that in there, but this is way deeper this is not a Disney movie, which is what I tell people, okay? This is way deeper than that. Boaz is likely much older than Ruth, okay? Like two different generations. Boaz is probably more Naomi's age, okay? Ruth is young. Young people don't call other young people young people, right? So Boaz notices Ruth. Whose young woman is this? He knows that she doesn't belong there. He can tell that she's not an Israelite. She's, she's different, right? This love that they're going to have, as we'll see, is not about physical attraction. There's nothing wrong with physical attraction, but this isn't rooted in that. And we'll see this in a lot of different ways. Ruth also doesn't look like what we envision. And we'll see that in the text later. Um, so, all right. And then he says, whose young woman is this? And then Ty, can you just read verse six, please? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So now, so it seems like everybody, you notice they don't even say Ruth's name. They, they don't say she's Ruth. They just know her for what she's already done. She's this Moabite woman who has come into Israel to be with Naomi. Okay. Now let's look at Boaz's reaction. To, um, Let's go, Cam. Can you read uh, eight and nine? Eight and nine. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting, and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not, not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men had filled." Perfect. All right. Baker, welcome, buddy. It's good to see you. We're in Ruth 2, uh, verse 8. So notice, what does Boaz, someone tell me, what does Boaz call Ruth in verse 8? What does he call her? You're there, Sydney. My daughter. Yeah. Again, showing the age difference, but also he, he, see, he doesn't see her as a co-worker or a servant. He sees the, the daughter. He feels this protection, this responsibility for Ruth. He's drawn to Ruth, but it's not this romantic infatuation yet. We're about to see he's drawn to her for very different reasons. Um, 
Cam, can you just read nine? See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Have I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have built. Okay, so a couple things here. First of all, he includes, remember, Ruth is not a harvester. She's a what? What's the other verb? You got it, Cam. Do it. Gleaner? Yeah, she's gleaning. Remember, she's coming in behind the harvesters. But Boaz says, no, no, no. Now you work with the female servants who are actively harvesting as well. So now she goes from getting the scraps and the leftovers to being included with the people, which again, Ruth is a Moabite coming into Israel. And now she's kind of getting even further into Israel, truly be, becoming an Israelite. And then we get into this other part. What does Ty, what does Boaz tell Ruth that he has guaranteed for her in verse 9? Um, in verse 9, go ahead. He told his man not to touch her. All right. Um, it's very, very difficult that Boaz had to tell his men not to harass Ruth. The word here is to harass. And we don't know, is it some form it's definitely some sort of sexual harassment, but we don't know exactly what, we don't know if that's just verbally, we don't, but he says specifically touch. These fields, remember, this is the time of the judges. This is supposed to be God's kingdom of Israel, Eden 2.0. And yet Boaz has to tell his men not to do this. Now, from what we know about Boaz, it's not like he just let it happen all the time, but now that he sees Ruth, he's saying no. But it shows that this is a regular reality in Israel. The fields are not safe, which shows us, again, this was Ruth's idea, which shows us what Ruth was risking to come out here. And it's interesting. Now, here's the other thing. You got to go deeper with me here. Um, Cam, the book of Ruth takes place during what other book? During Judges. During Judges. Mm -hmm. Judges is a very dark time. We've already talked about this. But specifically, in the book of Judges, one of the themes, now think about what we just read with what Boaz did with Ruth, one of the major themes in the book of Judges is the dreadful mistreatment of women. Specifically, the, dreaded mis the dreadful mistreatment of women. You have Japheth's daughter, who is sacrificed, sacrificed his own daughter, Japheth's mother was a prostitute, so prostitution ran rampant. Samson burns his first wife to death in a house fire that he starts. Again, you don't want to be like Samson, right? Um, on and on it goes. Uh, the end, and I'm not trying to be inappropriate here. The last couple of chapters of Judges, there is, an, there is a literal gang rape of a woman. And it's, it's kind of this climactic, this, this reverse climactic horror of this is how terrible Israel has gotten. Israel has become like the nations they were supposed to get rid of in Canaan. So it's marked, and, it, and it's just interesting that judges could, it could have ended with the murder of a child or, you know, uh, a fake sacrifice to a fake God. But it specifically ends with the violation of a woman to show the treatment of women is a huge mirror 
for what's going on in the culture, in the overall culture. Does that make sense? But here in Ruth, which is already an oasis in the desert, we have another layer to that oasis because not only is Ruth a layer of faith in a faithless desert, Boaz is a layer of chivalry in a perverted desert. Boaz goes out of his way to protect this woman during a time period characterized by the abuse of women. So it shows this whole book is marking this, this bright spot. And, and it's, this is on a field in the middle of Bethlehem in Nowhereville. This isn't cool. This isn't exciting. And we're going to get here in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here we go. All right. Um, so, okay. The other thing too, Ty, can you just read, or no, I'm sorry, Cam, can you just read nine again? I gotta find it. Um, see which field they're harvesting and follow them. Have I, haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have built. So usually in that time period, the foreigners would draw water for the Israelites and the women Israelites would draw for the men. But Ruth has now been moved to the top of the list. Now she's getting to drink from the same water that the men drink from. Usually what would happen is, you know, there were no water fountains, right? So you would go at the beginning of the day to the lake to get water in big jugs and carry it with you throughout the day. It was a Nalgene before there were Nalgenes, right? I don't know if you guys even know what that is. Um, so that, that's the way it worked. But Ruth now gets to drink with the men. Ruth, is, Ruth has literally been taken from the bottom by Boaz and ushered to the top of the list. She's getting the choicest pick of the crops, the best water. And it only gets better next week when we get in there too. This is extraordinary grace of the complete life change that grace has given to her. Does that make sense? This is what happens to our souls when we become believers. Think about Zacchaeus, a man whose life was completely defined by taking, and not just taking, stealing. And someone tell me, Ty, do you remember, what's one of the first things Zacchaeus does when he becomes a Christian? What does he decide to do with the money that he's stolen? Give it back. He's not just going to get, that's right, he's, but he gives it back four times. So it's not about breaking even. He used to waste himself away on taking and taking and taking. Now he's going to waste himself away because he's giving so much away. You see the complete 180? If anything, Ruth chapter 2 teaches us, it's the complete 180 that grace can do in our lives. Think about how many, I don't even know, guys, how many former adult film stars who come to Christ are now trying to reach other adult films. I mean, talk about a complete change. How many former drug dealers are trying to reach people and get them off the streets now? And, and the same is true for you and me. One of the things you can work on in your prayer time this week is, is asking yourself, what are areas of my life? If I'm a Christian, what are areas of my life that I have not made a 180 degree turn in? Have I gone from being really selfish to just a little selfish? Like maybe I need to start working on pushing that over. Have I gone from really anxious all the time to I'm only anxious six days a week now? Now that's progress, but are we work? Are, are you focusing on 
all right, grace is in my life. I have the ability to make 180. And that, that looks different for different people. Looks different for different people. But what are areas in your life that you can work on that, that you know that grace is there? I've just got to get, I've just got to take advantage of it, right? Questions on that before we get into the last section here? All right. Um, Ty, let's stick with you, buddy. Can you read 10 through 12? 10 through 12. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Nice. So notice, what's the big thing? So Ruth is completely blown away in verse 10 by Boaz's kindness. She actually bows down and worships. It's not idolatry. It's, it's a, remember, this is the ancient East. These, this kind of thing happens all the time, okay? Um, you know, if you, if you came up to somebody today and shook their hand, in the nature near East to be like, what, what in the world are you doing? You know, it's, it's just different, different customs. So she's bound because she's so blown away by what's happened, right? But she specifically points out, you have been so kind to me, even though I am a what? In verse 10. Foreigner. A foreigner. Notice this. It's just huge. Looking at you, 2020. Ruth is conscious of the fact that her alien status, alien meaning wanderer or, or sojourner, she cannot believe that Boaz is indifferent to the fact that she is a different race. She cannot believe that Boaz is indifferent to the fact that she is of a different race. It, it doesn't, he doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him at all. This is what Israel was supposed to be doing the whole time. This is what Israel was supposed to be doing the whole time. Think, think back to the fields. You leave the corners of the fields undone so that, so that the wanderers can come in and the poor and the widow. If you see a widow getting from the corners of the field, if you, if you see her get, picking from one corner of the field, what's two corners? What's a little more? You know, this idea that it was never supposed to be just, all right, you've had your corner. There you go. It was an opening to, to evangelism. And, and what a better way when a foreigner comes wandering in um, into Israel to, to talk and bring them into the fold. And not just to talk to them, but to actually serve them. You know, Israel was supposed to be the light of the world. Eden 2.0. They were supposed to remember. God says to Abraham, your children will bless the nations, will bless them. Boaz is doing what Israel was supposed to be doing all the time. And this is what we as Christians were suppo are supposed to be doing, helping those who are weak and oppressed and of a different race, helping them. Notice, notice, I'm not going to get to 2020, but a little bit. Notice Boaz doesn't look at Ruth and say, well, we don't know what she did to end up here. It very well could have just been her fault that she's homeless and a widow. Well, you know those Moabites. It's not all what you know. Come on, guys. I mean, she is a Moabite. Remember, Moabite means from the father because Lot's daughters slept with him. 
And so her baby is literally from her father. Those are the Moabites. Talk about stereotypes. Talk about an easy stereotype, right? And she's a female Moabite. They're the ones who started all that. But instead, Boaz doesn't stereotype. He doesn't automatically assume the worst. He jumps in to help, and he'll ask questions later. Now, there's wisdom in helping, obviously. Like, if you're alone at night and someone runs up to you at the gas station asking you to, like, you know, I've got a flat tire. Can you just come back? You know, obviously, we, we need to be wise about this. But you know when you see someone who needs help or you see an African-American or you see whatever, and your knee-jerk reaction is the negative. You know what I mean? You, you see that. You know. Boaz doesn't do that. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's what, I mean, imagine, imagine the impact that Israel would have made on the world if everyone in Israel was like Boaz or tried to be. We'd all be Jewish because they would have impacted the entire world, but they didn't do that. Israel, remember, this is the time of the judges. No one is like this in Israel. I mean, there are a lot of faithful people, I'm sure, but no one at the top. So anyway, and we'll get into more of that. I know that's, that's kind of a quick um, summation, but this was huge. This is what Israel was supposed to be doing. All right, Ty, can you read just verse 11? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz judges Ruth on the content of her character, Martin Luther King. He judges her on the content of her character. He, he is trying to help her because he sees all the good things that she's done. And he doesn't stop and say, well, but she's a Moabite. He judges her by what she's done. And one of the big themes here in Ruth is... Ruth is not an Israelite, but she acts in such a way that we wish Israel would have acted. One of the themes of Ruth, another way to say it is, the only true Israelite in the story is the Moabite. You see what I mean? The only true Israelite in the story is the Moabite. Um, here's the other thing, too. Remember, Boaz is much older. Um, Ruth doesn't look the way we think she looks. And that's not good or bad. I'm just telling you, she doesn't. We always picture Ruth. I always picture like Princess Jasmine, like the petite, like perfect skin, like blah, 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 whatever. Ruth is not that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Ruth is not like that. This isn't an American love story. That's what I'm trying to get out of your brain. This is, this is thousands of years ago. This is totally different. Boaz, here, here it is, regular obedience is beautiful to people who have eyes to see it. Regular obedience is beautiful to people who have eyes to see it. Boaz is blown away that Ruth would stay with her mother-in-law after the death of her husband, come into this foreign land, and work to try to help her with it. This is regular obedience. This is, I mean, she didn't, she didn't part the sea. She stayed with her in-laws. And Boaz is blown away. 
by this. And, and in our own culture where, where we're so, and I'm this way too, where we're so Instagram heavy and physical attract. And again, physical attraction is great. There's nothing wrong. When you buy a house, you buy a house that looks nice, but you can't live in a house that's built out of paint. You follow me? You can't live, paint is the outside. Nothing wrong with the outside. Outside's great, you should celebrate the outside. But you can't live in a house that's just outside. You know what I mean? You see what I'm saying? You can't live in a house built out of paint. But the, we have got to work on valuing the things that righteous people value. When we value sportsmanship, athletes will be more Christ-like in their sportsmanship. When we value honesty and good listening skills and kindness, that's what relationships will look like more. And again, there's nothing wrong with valuing physical attraction, but I hope I don't hit too close to home here, but a lot of times when people get out of college, they'll look back on people who they wish they had dated, who were good guys, who were nice girls, but they didn't look a certain way, right? They didn't have that, that one thing that, ah, you just don't have that. And now, God, I haven't found someone, gosh. And you could have if we had valued the things that we were supposed to value. You see what I mean? Um, be mindful as you guys are in school. And, and I, I'm not trying to tell you how to, like, get a date or whatever. But, like, and when you choose your friends and when you figure, like, and, again, you don't, you don't need to settle. You need to seek godly counsel from other people. But ask yourself, am I, am I cultivating a culture around me where I'm going to meet someone who has the values that I value, right? Um, I don't know. Gosh, you guys are in college. You're, you're not going to go to – this is – I'm not speaking from experience, by the way. You're not going to go to the strip club and be like, yeah, we just didn't have a great conversation. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to find that there. I'm so glad this is being recorded. <laughs> um, like, and, and you see what I mean? Like, if you go somewhere where physical attraction is valued solely and hang out in circles where physical attraction is valued solely, there's going to be a lot of relationship drama there because the deeper parts of the soul are not being valued. Does that make sense? I know that was a lot, and that was kind of all over the place, and there was a strip club involved. I'm aware this is weird. I'm aware. It's okay. Are we all good? Are we all on the same page? Boaz values, like, and it's just beautiful to him. He's like, wow, this is amazing. All right, um, Ty, take us home. Do a 12. Wait, Ty, I'm so sorry. Hang on. Um, she says, no, notice, Ty, just do 11 for me again. I'm sorry. Just do 11. But Boaz answered her. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Uh, do 11 as well. Sorry, Ty. Or wait, oh, just do 11? Do, uh, do 10. Okay. Sorry, Ty. Oh, 10, okay. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? 
since I'm a foreigner. Notice this too. In in the in chapter two, I believe it's verse two, Ruth specifically wants to go glean, but not just glean in someone's field, someone's field in whom she what? In verse two. In whose sight she'll find favor. And what just happened in verse 10? It is exactly the same phrase. Notice, and one of the commentators I was reading said this, Ruth wanted to find favor in someone's eyes, and that's exactly what God granted her. It was, She didn't specifically pray it, but God knew her heart. You see what I mean? She didn't like go spend time alone and pray to God. And this, I'm not taking away from prayer. I'm trying to make a point about who the Lord is. God knows our hearts. He knows them better than we do. Ruth didn't, again, Ruth didn't go to church and pray for this. She needed to find favor in someone's eyes because that's the key to her survival. And that's exactly what God gave her. Because God knows the deepest desires of our hearts. He knows what we want. He knows what we need. He knows what we're seeking. He knows what makes us sad. He knows what makes us feel empty. He knows the, the voids that we want filled. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. And he's either right now working on filling those things or he's doing something better. You know, there's that verse. Um, I should have looked it up, but there's that verse where Jesus says, which one of you, if your son asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion instead, right? Jesus's point is, if your kid who you love wants this, you're not going to give him that. You know what I mean? Something totally different. Tim Keller says it like this. When you pray, God will either give you one of two. There are only two things you will ever get from God, ever exactly what you ask for or what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he does. So when you pray, God will give you one of two things, exactly what you asked for, or he'll give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he does. My point with this is if God knows our hearts and our desires as deeply as he knows Ruth's hearts and desires, but sometimes he doesn't give us what we want, there must be a good reason for it. That reason must be rooted in love for us. Not wrath, not, oh, I'm going to test you. There's a love in, I love you and I'm not giving you this because I love you. So verse 10 is cool because it matches verse 2. It's exactly what Ruth, and, and, and the point is not, God always gives us exactly what we're looking for, down to the letter. The point is, God knew Ruth's heart, even though she didn't explicitly ask for it. So even if you don't know how to pray for something, God knows the heart of what you're trying to tell him, which makes prayer that much better. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Uh, okay, Ty, now finish this out and do verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Okay, a mother bird, notice the wings thing. The wings will come back into play in the next chapter. Um, 
but for right now, a, a bird, specifically a mother bird, is a common analogy in the ancient East, in the ancient, ancient Near East. This wouldn't have been lost on Ruth. This is a, was a common phrase that was used, and it's picturing God as a mother bird who protects his children, okay? Um, this is just a quick one. This is for free. Uh, sometimes people will wonder if God is father, why is he so often compared to a mother bird? And one of the ways we can do this in 21st century America, especially, is a lot of times fathers can be distant, but God is this, the perfect father, a father who is close and intimate, like a mother. You see what I mean? Um, so that's, there's the mother bird comparison. But notice this too. Boaz is kind of blessing Ruth. Ty, can, it's kind of split into three parts. Can you read the first part of the blessing that, that Boaz says? Just the first thought? The Lord repay you for what you have done. Boaz says that, right? But what has Boaz been doing all day with Ruth? Giving her the same water that the male servants are drinking from, moving her to the front of the list, making sure that she gets her choice of the harvest instead of just gleaning the leftovers. He's kind of repaid her for her kindness. All right, go to the next one, Ty. Uh, uh, full reward be given you by the Lord. Boaz is about to richly reward Ruth with more grain than she can even carry, literally, in the next section. So he's kind of already richly rewarded her. And then do the last one, Ty. Uh, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Refuge and protection. Well, who is protecting Ruth from the other men earlier in the story? Who is protecting Ruth and Naomi from starvation? See, Boaz, yeah, Boaz is not just praying it. He's doing it. Does that make sense? One of the true ways you know you mean your prayer is if you try to take part in fulfilling that prayer. That's one of the ways you can know that you actually mean your prayer. Um, Lord, help me with purity. Okay, now I'm going to go to my room with just my computer and my phone. I'll see you guys tomorrow. I'm not actually trying to pursue that. Um, Lord, I, hope, I just pray that you would help my friend come to know who Jesus is. And I'm a good friend to my friend, but I've never talked to him about Jesus. You may want to circle this verse 12 and write in James 2.16. James 2.16 says, If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And it doesn't have to just be about physical needs, but it's James is saying, if, you, if you're speaking these things, but you're not actively trying to fulfill them, what good is that? This is why, remember in verse 1, Boaz is called, Sydney, what's Boaz called in verse one? Not a relative of Elimelech, the other one. A worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Yeah, this is what that means. This is what righteousness looks like. You know, greatness is not being on a TV screen. Greatness, verse one, is doing, not just speaking. And, and notice this too. Boaz is not aware that the book of Ruth is going to be written. 
Nobody's watching Boaz do this. He's the boss. He owns the land. If you don't like what he's doing, you can go to the next field. Boaz has no pressure on him to do this. He does it because he loves the Lord. And he knows this is what God would do for him. You see what I mean? That's what righteousness is. That's what goodness is. Now, here's, here's the beauty of it. The point of this story, yes, Ruth and Boaz are definitely what I would call exemplars, meaning we should be like Ruth and Boaz. But if that's as far as you get, you haven't finished the lesson. Um, this is the kindness that Jesus shows to us. This is the infinite grace. Remember, less than a chapter ago, Ruth was a pagan. Ruth was, Ruth was not in VBS as a kid. Like, Ruth worshiped false gods. And yet God didn't say, done with that, forget that. God took Ruth by the hand and literally led her into Boaz's field. This is all grace. This is all his kindness. Instead of, you know, remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. Naomi, in a sinful time in Judges, instead of drawing closer to God during the famine, what does Naomi do? Instead of drawing closer to God, she literally does what? You got a tie? Goes further away from him. She leaves. And then she stays there. Remember, they lived there at least 10 years. And instead of God saying, forget it, I'll go, I'll go get someone up. This is the line of David, chapter four. This is the line of King David. And it's not this, you know, purple heart hero. This is faithless Naomi. This is call me Mara, call me bitter, because God has abandoned me, Naomi. And God draws her back in, warms her heart. Notice this too about Naomi. At the end of chapter one of, of Ruth, at the end of chapter one, um, it says that the Lord, in verse 21, the Lord has brought me back empty. And then in, verse, in chapter two, Naomi in verse three, Naomi in verse two, sorry, Naomi in verse two, she calls Ruth daughter. So her heart is slowly, she's gone from not even acknowledging Ruth, end of chapter one, to the beginning of chapter two, slowly beginning to acknowledge and welcome Ruth into her family. It's, it's this, God is using these circumstances to slowly warm Naomi's cold, dead heart back to life. It's this beautiful story. Um, I had one other note. I want to be sure I get it. Last thing, a huge theme in Ruth is this theme of what I would call ordinary obedience. Ordinary. Boaz had an open field for the poor people because he was supposed to. The end. That, that's it. That's why he did it, because he's supposed to. He's nice to Ruth because he's supposed to be, and he's blown away by Ruth's kindness to her mother-in-law. That doesn't exactly sound like a bestseller. You know what I mean? But that's the point. True motivation for Christianity is that we get to be closer to Jesus. I, we don't need a TV movie deal to do that.
It's ordinary obedience. These are the times of the judges. There are wars going on. Gideon's out there with a fleece. It's crazy. It's cool. Samson, Samson's alive in this time period. The strongest man in the world. But God doesn't use Samson to bring about King David. He uses normal, ordinary obedience in a field in the country. That's how God works. That's how God moves in the normal, everyday, going from class to class, on campus, talking to my friend across the table who's very angry about politics, but doing it with a, with a kind heart, right? My noisy neighbor upstairs, not letting that anger destroy me. That's ordinary obedience. That's what the book of Ruth is about. Nothing cool is going to happen in Ruth. Not, you get it. There's no miracles. There's nothing. There's a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law and their friendship and a very kind older man who does what God asks him to do. That's it. But that's the beauty of what God does. Think about it. Jesus wasn't born in Washington, D.C. or in Jerusalem. He was born in a manger. And that's the whole point. It's beautiful. It's absolutely wonderful. Questions about that? Comments about that? Snide remarks, further thing, any, anything you guys want us to go back on and look at real quick? Thoughts even? Good to go. Wonderful. Um, we are doing, we're in Revelation Sunday afternoon, okay? Um, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be off the chain. Revelation's been really good. We will also record that stuff as well. Hopefully I'll be able to post this tonight to the podcast if you guys have any questions. You guys are wonderful. Um, let's do this. Uh, Sydney, would you mind praying us out? Sure. Go for it. God, thank you again for this chance to join together, um, and, and study your word to learn your character and your goodness and your amazing grace. Um, we pray for for that ordinary obedience and that you'd be able to use it in our lives to make amazing things happen out of the ordinary. Um, and we pray, like Ryan said, for, for our prayers to be meaningful, for us to, to, to put effort into making them happen, not just to say a prayer and then never think about it again, but to, to make that prayer to live out that prayer, um, those prayers. Um, we pray for everybody's safety as we're just living our lives. And um, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You guys are wonderful. Uh, I'll see you either this Sunday or next Thursday. Holler if you need, and we'll go from there, okay? All right. Love you guys. Peace. <laughs>